0: Is, is the, the WTF, WTF Bach podcast that the podcast about Johann Sebastian Bach brought to you by his prodigal son WTF Bach join WTF Bach as he guides your mind through a contrapuntal journey why don't you let WTF Bach guide you and now here's WTF Bach hey it's Evan Chinners, last episode We looked at the first movement of the 5th Brandenburg Concerto up until the giant keyboard cadenza. and the next episode we will look at that giant keyboard cadenza and hear many different people playing it. But in between, for this episode, we are going to look at all of the Brandenburg Concerti and why Bach wrote them. And why, in fact, does a composer in the Baroque write anything, actually? I'm going to answer these questions while debunking another famous Bach myth, that Bach composed the 6th Brandenburg Concerto to get fired. Yes, to get fired. It's one of those fabulous Bach rumors that always struck me as a bit suspicious, but now I've taken the time to properly debunk it. You may recall last season when I decimated the pseudo-Bach scholar James Gaines and his dime novel Evening in the Palace of Reason. My BS radar kept going up when hearing about his book. Beep, 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 my bad scholarship radar, that is. And now, even though that this myth about the 6th Brandenburg Concerto comes from the mouth of an actual Bach legend, Nicholas Harnencourt, it's still time to debunk this myth that Bach tried to get fired while writing this. Now in order to do that we need to discuss a history of the Brandenburg Concerti, and therefore we might as well answer these two questions regarding why Bach or other composers in the Baroque wrote anything at all. Well one of the greatest shifts in my thinking about music came when I was able to finally internalize the idea that music in the Baroque was thought of it as a job much more than an art. Of course there's immense art to it but in the same way, in a very similar way, to the master carpenter making furniture in an artistic way. Now don't be shocked at the comparison, because neither Bach nor the carpenter thought of themselves as artists. The composer, like the army general and the blacksmith, were both indispensable parts of Baroque society. Someone breaks a horseshoe, send for the blacksmith. Someone dies, someone gets married, Center for the composer for the funeral or the wedding music. And where did this composer come from? Did he float to the top of a bunch of struggling artists because he simply had the most talent? No, he was taken from the workshop, the music workshop, the business. Music, as most business was, was a family business, handed down from generation to generation. And Bach came from the largest, some people say the largest family trees of professional musicians in history. There are anecdotes, for example, after the death of Bach in some other town in Germany, the town writes the Bach family, please send us another Bach because ours just died. Johann Sebastian Bach, like his father and his uncles before him, and like his own sons, did not choose to go into music because it stirred something in their souls. They were simply handed the family business. And how did the Baroque composer compose? For there was no time for the muse to strike. There was no plucking out a tune on the piano while chain-smoking cigarettes and crumbling up the endless drafts of failed ideas. There were no moonlight walks in the rain, screaming up at the sky, the battle between genius and heaven waging in the composer's mind. All of these images are images that we place on the Baroque musician. Because in reality, a Baroque composer went to work sort of like an accountant goes to work, with a briefcase to a desk. The composing took place in silence, and most compositions were written straight through. But how is this possible? How could someone like Bach have so consistently penned masterpiece after masterpiece in an almost cold, methodical manner? We might simply answer that by saying that the level of musical literacy, musical proficiency, was so high, simply because music was a much more integral part of society. And we can't quite imagine how integral. Because for us, we look on music as an art, and as soon as something enters the realm of art for us, we put it in a museum, and then we go visit it. We see music as a form of expression. We place artists in an eccentric corner of society and even allow them to have quirks and dress differently from a banker. We might even say that art is optional, like going to the movies or ordering dessert. We don't do it all the time, but back then, in the Baroque, Everybody played music. Everyone was musically educated. There was music everywhere at every event. How many of us, for example, have seen an orchestra, say, at the opening of a new building? Well, that's exactly what would have happened back then. A new building? A new building in town? Well, we need a concert to christen a thing. Send for the town composer. How about the birthday of so-and-so of the Duke of XYZ? Well, pomp and circumstance requires lengthy music. Send for the composer. And what about old music? Well, sort of inconceivable, really. Fine, we can do with a few compositions from the last composer who held our town's job, but what we really want is new music from the current employee. And anyhow, it's Good Friday soon, and someone's going to have to set the text from Matthew's Gospel to music. Send for the composer. Even in the more proletarian places, the coffee houses, for example, extensive performances were put on in those coffee houses. And this isn't like your guitar player sitting in the corner of a coffee shop playing for 45 minutes while sipping a beer. No. The concerts at Café Zimmermann in Leipzig were at least two hours, consisting of German and Italian opera, chamber music, secular cantatas, other orchestral works at a coffee shop. So where does Bach's job exactly fit into all this? Let's take a look at Bach's job. And since I want to tie in this episode with the creation of the Brandenburg charity, let's look at his job when those pieces came about. 1721 is the year we give the creation of the so-called Brandenburg Concerti. At this time, Bach was the Kapellmeister to the prince of Anhalt Kürten, Leopold. Now, what is a Kapellmeister? It's the director of music for a monarch or a nobleman, and Anhalt Kürten is the town in Germany. Prince Leopold came from a dynasty of German rulers that ruled this area of Germany. He died, interestingly, at the age of 33, and he would have been 23 years old when he was Bach's employer, Bach, in 1717, when he came to Curtin to work for the prince, would have been 32. So we're dealing here with a court, a kapelle that's the music at the court, a prince named Leopold in Curtin, sometimes I might say anhalt Curtin, and the Kapellmeister, meister the Kapellmaster, that is Bach. Now, Leopold's life, well, he was very princely. As a young boy, he studied in Berlin at one of the preeminent schools for young princes to round off their formal education. Then, as was custom for such a prince, he set off on a grand tour at the age of 16 with his private tutor and steward. He went to the Hague, where he acquired a lifelong love of opera. He learned how to play the harpsichord and the violin. He traveled to London, France, Italy. He spent a lot of money on opera tickets, collected musical manuscripts. He studied art and architecture and dance. Now let's set the scene for Bach to enter the prince's life. In nearby Berlin in 1713... A new king comes to power and dissolves his father's beloved capel, that is the musical establishment. And the young Leopold, through his connections he perhaps made at Prince Finishing School, learns of this and begs his mother, for he wasn't yet old enough to rule, to basically buy the orchestra. He wants to make a capel for his own. His mother acted so swiftly that that very year, six accomplished virtuosos arrived from Berlin to Anhalt Curtain, And the ensemble was then headed by a man named Stricker. And gradually more musicians joined towards 1716, and then in 1717, Bach takes over Stricker's job. Whether Stricker sought employment elsewhere, or if Leopold simply had him fired once the opportunity came to hire Bach, it isn't exactly known. But in any case, Bach arrived in Curtain with his then four children and his first wife. The capel at that time measured 16 musicians, not including Bach. Compared to his previous job, This new job is focused much more on instrumental music than on vocal music. In fact, in Curtin, there isn't even a full-time choir, but the ensemble does include a core group of eight distinguished virtuoso musicians. So, chamber music and virtuoso chamber music. Let's quote from Christoph Wolf here. In keeping with the practice of other courts, musical soirees and other forms of musical entertainment must have been an integral part of courtly life at Curtin, even though we lack specific information, and even more regrettable, most of the actual music made on those occasions. The repertoire would have consisted primarily of instrumental music of larger and smaller ensembles, concertos and sonatas in particular, as well as solo pieces such as keyboard or lute suites. Nevertheless, we can be sure that at least Bach's instrumental compositions, whose extant primary sources can be securely dated to the curtain years, such as the Brandenburg Concerti, the French Suites, the Well-Tempered Clavier, the Sonatas and Partitas for Solo Violin, and the Cello Suites, were performed at these various courtly functions. Ah, so here, in this quote, we have a mention of the Brandenburg Concerti. And we also have a brief answer to why Bach would have written them. Well, there were chamber concerts all the time, and there was new music needed. But how much music? These six concerti over the course of his six years there, perhaps? How much music was Bach writing then? From those of you who love Bach and know a little bit about his output, you probably know of his cantata cycles in Leipzig, where he was for four years, putting out a new cantata every single week. That's an ornate piece of instrumental and vocal music, 20 to 30 minutes in length, every week composed from scratch, copied out into several instrumental parts, rehearsed and performed week after week for 200 weeks. And now that's what makes Bach Bach this kind of consistency, this kind of discipline. But the scary part, for me at least, is the following fact. And this is what I love about Bach research, is that you can follow through these little Baroque records, these little pieces of paper that keep track of expenses and money, what exactly happened like musical archaeology. We know from the salary records, carefully kept at Prince Leopold's court, that one full-time and one part-time copyist were employed. That's two music copyists employed simply to make copies of the music, from the full score from the master copy, one might say, into parts for the individual musicians. Two copyists employed, and since Bach himself was also copying out scores, this implies a lot of music being performed. Now, bookbinding costs, we also have records of that. Putting these copies into books, and they're carefully recorded so that we know that they were building musical libraries of whatever music was being copied. Now, we also know that there are no expenses for the purchase of manuscript or printed music while Bach was there. That would have been a requirement to purchase music that was coming from outside of the capel. And in fact, the only record of an expense to purchase music not written within the court occurs in 1723, the year that Bach was already gone. And so what does this mean? It means that all the music being bound into those books were compositions coming from within the capel, from right within the band itself. Now, clearly, the majority of these compositions are going to be Bach's own, but it is conceivable that the other members of the band, you know, 1717's Ringo, adds his concerto here and there, especially Joseph Spies, who was in the group, he was a composer and probably contributed frequently. Furthermore, if we look at the costs of what it actually costs to bind all this music, Leopold is paying for enough bound music to encompass some 50 major orchestral scores and parts every year. And so when you do that math, it's about one new orchestral work a week for six years. We're dealing with hundreds of concerti. Again we see Bach and Curtin not dissimilar from Leipzig, putting out a major work once a week. It's not difficult to imagine that Bach, in the job immediately preceding Leipzig, where he wrote a new cantata every week for four years, was writing a concerto every week for six years. So, where are they? Harsh, unfair, unjust, cruel, as it may seem. The library of the capel at Curtin disappeared without a trace. There might be a reason why. I'm sure maybe a librarian could explain why entire libraries go missing. But in any case, the vast majority of the music Bach wrote during these years is gone. When we revisit that Wolf passage again, he says even more regrettable is that most of the actual music made on those occasions was lost. How much music is lost, Mr. Wolf? Most. It's devastating. devastating. <laughs> Now there is a slight consolation which is the fact that Bach may have retained much of the Curtain compositions for his own use and reworked them into later compositions. This is a technique called parody, and Bach made extensive use of it during his later years. In Curtain, he was also required to write secular cantatas, which we know were recycled by him when he began his sacred cantata cycle in Leipzig. We can actually see this in a few of the secular cantatas that we possess from his Curtain period, so it's conceivable that some of the works we know from later are parodies of his Curtain years. We are also consoled by the fact that most of the solo works survived. The Well-Tempered Clavier, the French Suites, the works for solo violin and solo cello. These survived probably because he used them for teaching purposes. But the Brandenburg Concerti? They are neither of these two stories. They have their own bizarre history. So, in 1719, a few years into his new job with Prince Leopold, Bach is set out on an errand to go to Berlin with the intent of purchasing a new harpsichord for the court. And there he meets the Margrave. Margrave is the medieval title for a military commander. So there he meets the Margrave of brandenburg schwedt the sort of modern-day border between Poland and Germany. And there, as a representative of the illustrious court of Prince Leopold, he plays for the Margrave. And the Margrave is, we can assume, blown away. Two years later now, in 1721, the Margrave gets a nice little package in the mail from Bach with a beautiful dedication page written in the language of all German nobility, French, dated the 24th of March, 1721. As I had the good fortune a few years ago to be heard by your royal highness at your highness's command, and as I noticed then that your highness took some pleasure in the little talents which Heaven has given me for music, and as in taking leave of your royal highness, your highness deigned to honour me with the command to send your highness some pieces of my composition, I have in accordance with your highness's most gracious orders taken the liberty of rendering my most humble duty to your royal highness with the present concertos, which I have adapted to several instruments, begging your highness most humbly not to judge their imperfection with the rigour of that discriminating and sensitive taste which everyone knows his him to have for musical works, but rather to take into benign consideration the profound respect and the most humble obedience which I thus attempt to show him. That is the dedication page to the Margrave of brandenburg schwedt and the story, at least the way that Bach spells it there, is that the Margrave asked Bach to write him some pieces. Now, why couldn't Bach just go ahead and write pieces for the Margrave? Or go home, send the Margrave some concerti from Curtin? Well, in the 18th century, there is a very rigid protocol that one must follow when dedicating or even copying a piece of music, because music was proprietary. You may recall in my interview with Robert Hill that he mentions how the formal procedures of copying music were granted. You couldn't just get a piece of music and copy it. Or here again is Christoph Wolf. 18th century protocol would have required Bach, while in the employment of Prince Leopold, to obtain formal permission for dedicating such a work to another sovereign and it is hard to imagine that Bach would have submitted to the Margrave of Brandenburg a bundle of works originally written for Prince Leopold, especially if the prince was fond of them and considered them his property. We can therefore assume that Bach carefully selected from outside the restricted curtain contingent the best of his concerto compositions that would fit into an uncommon collection. In the end, these six concertos embody a repertoire fashioned more for its instrumental diversity than for any other reason. Wolf explains earlier contrary to conventional wisdom, the collection does not reflect specific structures of ensembles available either to the Margrave of Brandenburg or to the Prince of Anhalt Curtin. And that sentence there is a refutation of an antiquated theory by Heinrich Besseler that Bach had composed the Brandenburg Concerti for the exact number of musicians in the Kapelle at Curtin. That fact, by the way, is still there on the Wikipedia page of the Brandenburg Concerti, but it's obviously been refuted. So if any of my listeners are good with editing Wikipedia and want to put in this episode in the source, thank you. But we actually have solid proof that two of the Brandenburg Concerti, the first and the fifth, were composed before the dedication copy to the Margrave. The first concerto was composed well before his curtain appointment even. So we see here that Bach drew on early sources to put together this set for the Margrave, And while writing the Brandenburg Concerti, he never actually meant for the concerti to form their own set of six. Well, so then, that about settles it. Bach was composing a new concerto or orchestral work every week, and when asked to turn up some compositions for the Margrave, he turns to these earlier compositions outside his curtain employment and presents them to the Margrave. But what did the Margrave do with this manuscript, anyhow? Well, nothing. With such a diverse scoring, the Margrave hadn't the forces capable of performing them. The title page says six concerto for plenty of instruments. Now plenty indeed, that's an understatement in fact, for these concerti almost make systematic use of the widest possible array of instrumentation and orchestration. So they simply went under the Margrave's shelves. He didn't have the band to play it. And then the Margrave of Brandenburg died in 1734. And there the so-called Brandenburg Concerti slept on shelves until finally they were published, not 10, not 20, not 50, but 100 years after Bach's death for his centennial in 1850. Incredible. We owe the existence of these pieces to that one particular copy Bach copied out for the Margrave. And other than that, the fifth concerto existed in parts, and the first concerto existed as an appendage to a cantata. The fourth concerto was transcribed as a concerto for two recorders and a harpsichord, but we owe the existence of these beautiful works in the way that we know them to the fact that Bach assembled almost the sawdust of his workshop, the odds and ends, and bound them together into this copy. Without this copy, we would have no knowledge of the rest of the Brandenburg Concerti. Perhaps they would have suffered the same fate of the missing 200 other odd major orchestral works from Curtin. Jumping into the future another 100 years, one anecdote that I admittedly not convinced of, because I cannot find any source material for it, is the remarkable story of a librarian transporting that very autograph manuscript from Berlin in the Second World War. The train came under aerial bombardment and the librarian grabbed the Brandenburg Concerto manuscript, hid it in his jacket, and fled into the nearby forest. Now if this is true it's yet another remarkable tale of these remarkable pieces, but again I will just leave my bad scholarship radar on until I can see some evidence. radar. How then does one go from everything that I've mentioned to Bach composed the sixth Brandenburg concerto to get fired? You might even know the story and say well Prince Leopold you see played the violin you've already told us that and the sixth concerto doesn't have any violins and so since Prince Leopold would have wished to play these concerti with his own orchestra Bach dealt him an insult by composing the finale of this set without violins. Now, I'm sure you too, my faithful listeners, I can hear your BS radars blinking. Beep, 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 beep. bad scholarship. But let's go through these facts again. These pieces were written outside the curtain repertoire. These pieces were not composed as a set Thus, the notion of a final concerto becomes irrelevant. The pieces were not dedicated to Prince Leopold, and the pieces were dedicated, by the way, in 1721, and Bach didn't leave curtain for Leipzig until 1723. It's simply bad scholarship, folks. It's another myth. You can comb over the pages of real scholars like John Butt or Christoph Wolf, Robert Hill, and you won't find these ideas. But still, if you're not convinced, Let's turn to a historical document where we find, in the words of Prince Leopold himself, the conditions of Bach's departure. Letter of Bach's dismissal from the Prince of Curtin, from 1723, April 13th. By the grace of God, we, Leopold, Prince of Anhalt, etc., make known herewith to one... And all in what manner we have had in our service and under our patronage the respectable and learned Johann Sebastian Bach since August 5th, 1717, as Kapellmeister and director of our chamber music. We have at all times been well content with his discharge of his duties, but the said Bach, wishing now to seek his fortune elsewhere... Has accordingly most humbly petitioned us to grant him a most gracious dismissal, now therefore we have been pleased graciously to grant him the same, and to give him the highest recommendation for service elsewhere. In the witness whereof we have executed this discharge with our own significance, and caused our princely seal to be affixed thereto. stamp from the prince of Anhalt Curtain, Leopold. And there we have it. Bach humbly petitioned them to make a most gracious dismissal, and why? Please tell me why, if Bach had insulted this prince and if the prince had fired him because he couldn't play the violin in the sixth concerti, why would such a document exist? Think for yourselves, my fellow Bachians. Don't even trust me. So, this was a bit of a speaking episode. I hope you enjoyed my voice and history. But the next episode we are going to cover the cadenza of the 5th Brandenburg concerto and here is the MIDI of the first movement all the way through. Thanks for listening. You can support Evan at patreoncom WTF. You are listening You are listening, to listening to WTF. WTF. We appreciate you listening. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for listening to the wgfb WTF. podcast. <laughs>